Blog Talk Radio.
Africa is our home. Africa is our home. Welcome to Africa on the Moon. As your host, Brother Africa, it's always the honor and the privilege to come to your home tonight where we can speak the truth to the powerful and to the powerless. We're going to do something a little different this time on this program. That was a special going home celebration in honor of a very young lady, a freedom fighter, who has been a friend and ally to Africa on the Moon, to Mother Africa, and many freedom-loving and just movements and people throughout the world. And we only think it would be proper to take a few minutes at the beginning of the show to say our farewell and give our thanks and celebration of getting to know and share some time, some real special time and enjoyment with our sister, Simi Roana, Roania. And what we would like to do right now is we'd like to read a statement from the All African Peoples Revolutionary Party of GC in terms of their love and respect for her. This statement reflects not only the AAPRPGC, but also Pan-African roots under the leadership of Bob Burrell as well. So we're going to turn the mic over to Brother Haki, and he will read the statement. Brother Haki, welcome to Africa on the Moon. Uh, thanks for having me, uh, Brother Africa. Uh, my statement raises the AAPRPGC statement reads as such. Each generation must, out of relative obscurity, discover its mission, fulfill it, or betray it. This statement by revolutionary fighter Frantz Fanon, born in Montanique, Caribbean, seems to reflect the life of our sister, Simeon Ryan of Iran. Sister Simeon's path of struggle led her to choose a role of being a revolutionary conscious political worker for justice, liberation, and freedom. Her lifetime actions of resistance against imperialism slash capitalism and workers' domination by capital can be seen through her membership of the Tuday Party, of Iran Communist Party. She fought against the Shah, she short, in the process she fought against the Shah's regime. She also co-founded uh, Women for Peace and Justice in Iran. Being a woman of conscience and understanding the victimization of women and the three folds of oppression, race, class, and gender they face, as well as being a worker that fought to overcome, she fought to overcome these obstacles with organization determination by joining and becoming an active member of such groups as AFS, CME Local 1924, or the D.C. Labor Committee, and the Northeast Feminist Scholars Collective in Washington, D.C., by serving on the Listen Station Board, WPFW Pacifica Radio. Our sister, Simeon Ryan was a longtime friend of the All African People Revolutionary Party, G.C., and his Women's Wing, the All African People's Union, G.C., and to Africa and her scattered suffering and scattered children. Her steadfast support and participation in celebrating and honoring the institution of African Liberation Day slash Palestine Day in Washington, D.C., we will always view her as a true friend of Africa and our people's struggle for liberation, unity, pan-Africanism, which will lead toward the defeat of imperialism and advancement to socialism. Our condolence goes out to the family, friends, and all people who will feel her loss and love. May our sister Simeon always be remembered that she gave a life of service 
for the advancement of humanity. And we say thank you, Sister Simeon, for the All African People Refugee Party, GC. Thank you, Brother Haki. And now have another friend of Africa on the move, Brother John Steinbeck, who had had the opportunity to work many years with our dear Sister Simeon. And we would like for him to share with us and the listening world the contribution, the life, and the works of our Sister Simeon. Brother John, we now turn the mic over to you. Thank you, Brother Africa. Uh, so I just came uh, a few hours ago from Samin's memorial. Uh, we had about 60 people there. It was a really good turnout. Uh, many of her comrades back in her student days when she was part of the coalition fighting against the Shah, many of her former comrades were there here today uh, to honor her. And so I got a chance to meet a lot of them and talk with them and learn a little bit more about her revolutionary life as a teenager. So she actually grew up as a part of a Kurdish family, a very notable Kurdish family from northern uh, Iran. And uh, at an early age, she started struggling against the Shah. And that was a dangerous proposition because they know about Sabak, the uh, Iranian secret police, and their brutality, and they didn't hesitate to uh, to kill freedom fighters, and they killed uh, tens of thousands of them. So when even when she was a teenager, she was risking her life. Uh, as she got older, uh, graduated high school, uh, she got a student visa, so she was able to come to the University of Maryland, where she continued to do her organizing against the Shah. Uh, while she was here, she met her husband, Jerry. Uh, Jerry was a leader in the Revolutionary Communist Party. And even though Samin was not a member of the, the Revolutionary Communist Party, she was certainly part of their uh, organizing. And so she got married. They had a child, Sarah. And uh, then they divorced, and she took Sarah uh, and went back to Iran briefly, continuing her activism, uh, and then uh, so then supported the revolution, continued to support the revolution to this day, to the day of her death. Samin supported the the the, the revolution, and Samin herself was an atheist, uh, committed communist, Marxist-Leninist, uh, but she saw that. Iranian revolution as a true people's revolution against imperialism and that it demanded support. And so that's only one example of how Samin separated herself. Uh, one of the people there today was Star Bui, who's a very uh, important activist in Washington, D.C., and she commented when we were at the table, she said, you know, Samin was there. She was our conscience on the left. So she would make certain that when you were on the left, she would have a left position to the, the left of us and would correct us. To give you one example of that, I'd like to give you an example of that. So we all remember back in, I want to say, 2016, 2015, when the, the Iranian government signed the JCOA, which was the Iranian nuclear deal. 
so virtually the entire peace and justice community, with the exception of a few groups like AAPRPGC and and the, the DC Iraq Coalition and a few others, virtually all of them, including our leftist allies like Answer and like UNAP, they all came out and they supported the nuclear agreement. But Samin immediately came out and came out strong and said, uh, this is a sellout. So, so Iran is opening itself up to CIA spies and it's giving up all of its secrets and it's giving up, it's letting the CIA go to all of their military bases. The CIA is going to know everything. And what are they getting in turn? We, we all know what you get in turn when, when you make a deal with the devil, the U.S. government. And the answer, you get nothing. The, the United States is not to be trusted. So Samin came out strongly, and a few others, like myself, Brother Bob Brown, a few others came out and said, you know, this is a sham, this is a bad deal. Uh, but uh, other groups said no, and Samin all of a sudden was not invited to speak at a lot of our leftist ally gatherings. And so, so the, over the last seven or eight years, primarily, when Samin was invited to speak, it would be at, at uh, events like Africa Liberation Day. So she paid a big price for coming out and telling the truth to power, as Brother Africa uh, admonished us earlier. That, that is our responsibility to tell the truth to power. And it doesn't matter if it's uncomfortable. It doesn't matter if it puts us in danger. We still need to speak the truth to power. And Sabine was very good at that. And she did that at all levels. So she was, I, I first met Sabine over 30 years ago in Washington, D.C., and she immediately became part of the movement there. It was Sabine and myself and my wife and a handful of others that organized the D.C. Iraq Coalition back in 1991. And the reason for that was that Many of the peace groups were talking about slogans like sanctions and not war. And we said, no, sanctions are war. Sanctions are death dealing. They're just another form of warfare. And so Samin was an important founding member of the D.C. Iraq Coalition. Uh, she worked for Fairfax County. She was a vice president of the labor union there. She was a shop steward. So she not only was an officer, she was a shop steward on the floor dealing with grievances. So at that level, she was involved. She was involved at the community level in, in supporting community struggles. She was there as an, as an important national and international uh, organizer. Uh, you know, she's the kind of a fighter for freedom and justice that we, we all are going to miss terribly. And we should hold Samin up as an example of the kind of work that uh, needs to be carried out if we are to, to prevail in the struggle. And the, and the last thing I would like to say is that Samin was very pessimistic about the nature of the struggle and that the revolution was not moving forward the way that it should. But, but toward the end, we had talks about uh, trends that we're seeing today where the, the so-called global south, which is basically all of the rest of the world and the majority of the world, understands exactly how empty the promises of 
the U.S. and its vassal states, the, the European states, and Japan and South Korea, that you cannot trust them, you cannot deal with them. And that's becoming very, very clear that the majority of the nations of the world, the majority of the people of the world, colonial struggle, neo-colonial struggle, and organizations like uh, AAPRPGC, you know, we would not be at this historical turning point that we are today where the majority of the people of the world are standing up to U.S. imperialism and are saying no. So it's, we owe a great debt of thanks to people like Samin and other sisters and brothers that are continuing to struggle. And I just want to thank you, Brother Africa, for giving me a moment to remember our dear comrade Samin Ryanian. And we'd like to thank you, Brother John, for sharing your perspectives on the sister and her contribution to humanity, in particular her support and love for Africa. At this point in time, I know there may be some other members of Africa on the moon who may have had a chance to meet and speak with the sisters and reflect and share some ideas with the sisters as we're struggling towards our liberation. And I would like to go back to Brother Haki, see if there's anything he would like to say on a personal or his encounter with your dear sisters to me. Any thoughts, Brother Haki? Yeah, yeah, I, you know, I I used to refer to the sister as uh, my favorite Iranian <laughs> because I, I, I like the fact that she was very, very candid. I mean, she's very, very principled in terms of opposition to the fundamental injustices that, you know, permeated society. And she did it in such a way in which, you know, she was, uh, she didn't hold her tongue. And I really respected that. Normally what happens is a lot of times people who weren't actually born in the U.S., when you, when you engage them in terms of issues around, you know, uh, U.S. criminality, in terms of injustice that U.S. perpetuates, when you when you ask that question to people who are not born here, normally it's a tendency for people to be somewhat uh, or a tendency to hold back in terms of assessment, in terms of what you know what the U.S. is really all about. But for her, she was a little bit candid in terms of her uh, her, 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 her understanding in terms of U.S. society. And for me, you know, I thought that was extraordinary. You know, for, that she would take a stand because she realized, in speaking truthfully to power, she understood that you know that potentially could be a price to pay by speaking truth to power. But apparently the system was willing to pay that price. Uh, you know, because they could very easily say, use that as justification and say, okay, you, you go, you got to leave here. You're going back to, we can ship you back to Iran. That didn't face her when I owed her. She spoke truthfully and honestly in terms of how she saw the situation. And for that, I'll always be respectful and mindful of who the sister was in terms of her, um, in terms of her, uh, her forthrightness, in terms of, you know, taking a stand in terms of, for that which is correct, that which is honest, that which is right. So for me, the sister will always be a shining example in terms of what could be in terms of trying to bring about a different paradox, you know, uh, a different paradigm in the society in terms of trying, actually trying to confront power and to get power to understand that in, in all reality, the kind of policies that they endorse are kind of productive to the aspirations or the longevity of humanity as a whole. And the sister sort of epitomized all that. And for that, I'll always be grateful, and I'll close with that, Brother Africa. All right, thank you. Let me see if Brother Moses might have anything he would like to say as relates to our sister Simeon. Brother Moses? Thank you. Thank you, Brother Africa. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm listening, and uh, I'm gathering this information and uh, and putting, trying to piece it back in my memory. Uh, it seems like African Liberation Day probably would have been when I would have 
encountered her, but not personally, but I mean, heard her speak, et cetera. Um, that's the only thing I can think of. Uh, I know uh, the gentleman said something about um, the people who were there at the memorial, and he mentioned Stabui, and uh, certainly Stabui introduced me to Mumia movement, basically. Uh, um, so I know she was among good people, uh, uh, and her, her politics sound good. Everything, you know, sounds righteous to me. Uh, 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 and I, I just uh, leave it like that. I, I, I support her viewpoint. Uh, I'm, I'm part of the third world movement, and, uh, and uh, we have to look out for our own interests. Thank you. I would like to thank you as well, Brother Moses. Brother John, we're going to let you just have your final thoughts, two minutes or less, and we will have to move on to our next segment. So, Brother John, your final thoughts, two minutes. Yes, Brother John, I guess you may have lost our brother at the time. What we're going to do right now, um, audience. I'm sorry. Can, uh, can you hear me? Yes, we can. We can hear you now. Let me just say briefly, one of the things I did not talk about was that Samin was a, an incredible speaker. Um, she was very good at making the connections between various oppressed people and reaching out and and linking the struggle. She she was a motivational speaker. Uh, she would 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 educate us all. She was an educator. Uh, and that that again did not always make her popular because she was such a powerful speaker. And as the brother said, she she uh, spoke sharply and to the point and you know, she thought you were wrong. I mean, she let you know about it, and you had to you had to deal with that. And Samin was you know almost always right. You know, and, and many many times she would correct me, and uh, and she was you know a, a, a woman of color, you know here in the belly of the beast, and and she was a communist in Iran. So we we just uh we we lost a a, a true leader a teacher, a freedom fighter, and let's all continue in her spirit. And I would just end by saying, Samin Rayani and Presente, Luta Continua. And thank you again. Thank you, Brother John. Stand back. And I believe our sister Eleanor, she may want to contribute to the discussion. We had our sister Senia, Rayani, Sister Eleanor. Any thoughts you'd like to express about our sister? I'd like to express my condolences, but also um, hearing her speak at uh, African Liberation Day and the other events, a great motivator and uh, voice of the people, uh, bringing uh, people together and connecting um the movement, uh, especially with indigenous people and Africans and all of those people. Thank you. 
back in Salvador, and you've been listening to a tribute, an honor, a sense of uh, thank you for all the work that Sister Samil Moreno has contributed to Africa, African people, and all of humanity. We thought we'd take a few minutes out today since they're doing a celebration going home event in her honor today. We thought we would just add to that because she deserved that. Again, we'd like to thank her for all that she had done for Africa and African people humanity. And um, we send our support out to her family members and our condolences. So on that note, what we're going to do is continue down this road of liberation. She will go in the book of liberation. And when we come back, we're going to talk about what's going on in our world and the community by first and foremost introducing our political panelists and analysts for today's program. This is the fourth day of June, 2023. Our theme is Africa will be free. We'll be right back. This is Africa on the Move. Africa won't for me, come, let's go. Africa, Africa, Africa won't for me, come, let's go. Africa, Africa, proud to be an African, and you may be Even though I wasn't born in Africa, Africa was born in me. Africa won't for me, come, let's go. Africa, Africa, Africa won't for me, come, let's go. Africa, Africa, proud to be an African, and you may be Even though I wasn't born in Africa, Africa won't for me. Oh, oh, yeah, Senegal, oh, oh, yeah, 
Sierra Leone, oh yeah Liberia, oh oh yeah Burkina Faso, oh yeah Algeria, oh yeah Egypt, Sudan, oh yeah Libya, oh oh yeah Ghana, Togo, Benin, Cameroon, Central African Republic, Congo, Gabon, <laughs> Ethiopia, Djibouti, Somalia, Zaire, Uganda, Kenya, Napia, Tanzania, oh Angola, Mambo, Bibi, Zambia, Zimbabwe, Malawi, Mozambique, Botswana, Natwaze, Namibia, oh yeah South Africa, I say, Ivory Coast, Morocco, Tunisia, Chad, hey, Rwanda, Burundi, we survive till this day, we overcome the odds, we on the highway, they kill us for the diamonds, they kill us for the gold, they take away the oil, just like the days of old. Pure blackness, oneness, so red, let them know they're missing out, mama Africa, Sweet blackness, oneness, we eat it Let them know they missing out Sing See you Madagascar, they left a bad scar Upon the face of my people, them greedy bastards Africa's not a country, it's a continent And once it comes together, there's no stopping it 53 countries and 53 reasons All we need is 53 presidents who believe in the unification of the next generation I rap about it, I live it, it's no imitation Beautiful weather, beautiful women, beautiful land Never again will it ever be stolen out of our hands and diamond necklaces, y'all sing about, bring them out They come from Africa, what the hell are you talking about? I'm a rapper to the death of me, this is part of my destiny Mama Africa, that's my home, my mama missing me I fight for my mother, yeah I'll kill for my mother Cause she the only one who loved me like no other Pure blackness, one is so Let them know they're missing out, Mama Africa.
by speaking truth to the powerful and the powerless. But before we do that, like always, we begin our program by introducing our political panelists and analysts that we're going to ask on the move for today's program. And today we have with us first brother Haki, who is a representative of the African Awareness Association. And we would like to welcome him to Africa on the Move. Welcome, Brother Haki. Uh, Brother Africa, thanks for having me. You know, Brother Africa, one of the really paradoxes in society is that, you know, when we get down to ideology, uh, there's a, a peculiar um, economy of views that exist in the society. Uh, one in particular I'm thinking about is the conservative mindset, and it's very, very unique in terms of a pencil, in terms of fomenting destruction, violence, and injustice. And the mere fact that many, many of these individuals perceive this as just and proper makes you wonder what just what the hell world do they live in? Or the fact, uh, you know, uh, this is something that's, that's common to this, to a lot of these so-called conservative Republicans. Interesting, though, from time to time, a lot of these conservative Republicans actually make slips and they actually convey what they, convey what they you know, convey what they're really thinking. And so what I thought I'd do today is talk briefly about in terms of, you know, the, the, the this tendency among, you know, you know these conservative uh, Republicans or these so-called uh, uh, far-right conservatives to actually reveal what their innermost thoughts, uh, of course, thoughts that they want people to know about. But a lot of times their speech indicates in terms of a deeper, a deeper uh, gives a deeper context in terms of actually what they're, what they're really all about. But in any event, Brother Africa, check this out. Recently, the National Convention of Conservatives, NETCON, hosted in the UK, highlighted divisions among the ruling class on display. Divisions among the group concerned the most effective way to maintain Western domination and the use of brutal force to carry out the conservative agenda, which in their estimation has been under attack by globalists who are not truly conservative. In order to unpack the conservative narrative postulated by leading conservatives of some of the most powerful institutions in the West, this is important to point out many of the concepts employed by these conservative speakers reverses logic in, 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 which, in what former great Pan-Africanist Kwame Ture would characterize as the insane becomes sane and the sane becomes insane. One keynote, one keynote speaker, Kevin Roberts of the Heritage Foundation in Washington, D.C., stated, quote, left-wingers want to end all democracy to impose their opinion on the world, end quote. Roberts' notion that democracy should not, not take into consideration very important of views is within itself strange. Democracy, which is egalitarian, uh, recognizes the inherent worth of all humanity, and as such, opinions formulated by humanity should be welcomed. Roberts' insertion that conservatives have a lock on democracy, that democracy should only be accessible to conservatives, reflects an anti-democratic bias that should be of concern to all fighting for a more just and, and sustainable world. In Roberts' estimation, the globalist lack of understanding of real democracy is the reason why the world is experiencing disarray. He squarely lays the blame of the world's problems on globalists, not only not any globalists, but liberal globalists. He asserts liberal globalists are greedy, elitist, woke, and globalists. In this context, globalists are individuals and are corporations that recognize the world is diverse, and in order to do business in this new world, such reality must be recognized. Robert's position is recognizing such a reality is foolish and counterproductive for Western domination of the planet. Implicit in his statements is that true conservatives would never capitulate to a changing world, instead maintain the course ordained by Western forebears that prioritize economic benefits to the interests of the West only. 
certainly, certainly not non-Westerners. He goes on to say, we're conservatives embrace democracy, equality, diversity, and justice. Certainly, the history of the post-1930 U.S. paints a different picture of conservatism. Among the changes conservative dealmen subscribe to is the idea under the U.S. Constitution, democracy, equality, diversity, and justice for the masses is not recognizable. Constitutional statutes only recognize the inherent wealth of rights of wealthy white landowners, while rights pertaining to the poor masses is left to individual states. Robert's understanding of democracy, equality, diversity, and justice must be understood within the context of conservative, conservative lens that relies on deceit and deception to hide the deeper reasoning why Roberts makes such outrageous claims. When Roberts talks about the historical values of conservatism, he speaks conceptually. It is fine to, to espouse the universality of humanity, but quite a different thing to actually enforce democracy, equality, diversity, and justice. What Roberts cleverly conceals is the political structures that undergird society, legitimizing the rules of the society and to achieve the results and desired outcomes. A lot of progressives who seek to reform political institutions creating a more humane and just society, Robert's position is institutions should merely have symbolic significance and any attempt to make institutions accountable to humanity are off limits. Robert strategically employed dog whistles to conservatives in attendance were calculated, but more importantly, he wants to employ misdirection where his deceptive narrative is picked up by media, presented to the population as though conservatism is compassionate all the while providing cover for right-wing ideologues to conceal the inner workings of conservatism. Robert's words are propagandistic, pure, and simple. Now, the idiocy of Robert's proclamation becomes more farcical. He states leftist globalists, assuming he's talking about George Soros specifically, or European Jews generally, that they hate religion, especially Christianity and the nation state, uh, which seems designed to inflame hatred. Following this truth, he insists leftists abhor competition or economic competition, and they are disdain for Western moral, intellectual, and social foundation being their primary motivation to question the greatness of the West. Often used by conservatives in an attempt to erase Africa's contributions to civilization or the African genotype that exists in all human beings on the planet, instead of painting the West as outside human evolution. This is an important point that must be expounded. The idea of Western civilization is not only false, but a Diversion of historical fact. What is defined as Western civilization got its origin in the 17th century as a means to justify European imperialism. This systematic enslavement and plunder of Africa was such the pure brutality of it all justify agreement among the very wealthy. Uh, the true history of Africa, <coughs> uh, specifically now River Valley contribution particularly, and its historical foundation of civilization must be concealed. Consequently, erroneous sciences and histories were sentient, leading to the erasure of African history, setting the stage for Western deception, glorifying a history that was concocted off the back of other cultures, and termed elevating Greek history as though Greek contributions were only indigenous to Athens, a fact both George Washington and Thomas Jefferson were fully aware of. However, the most galling aspect of, of, of Robert's logic is the question of morality. Conservatives of the far-right elite typically can think of morality is it's ends ran type logic, or which, which, more, which morality only applies to individuals, not societal constructs or current concern for others. Under conservative morality, regardless of the injustices or pain inflicted on others, as long as the individual benefits, such actions are seen as appropriate and positive. In this regard, any atrocity is viewed as moral as long as elites benefit. 
Forget about enslavement of human beings, more extreme than any forms of human slavery in history, or the genocide against indigenous Indians, enhancement of impressive apparatus, or systematic lying. These events compare in comparison to systems of propaganda that condition people to believe human life lacks value unless the individual possesses material wealth. It is this conditioning process along with populism or racial nationalism that robbers embrace that accounts for human turmoil on the planet. One such example centers around the center of creation of offshore accounts, specifically offshore banking, with the express interest by the U.S. to serve cryptocrats, people whose wealth is assured, drug dealers, tax evaders, and criminals at every strike. Michael Hudson, an economics extraordinaire, revealed in his book Super Imperialism, stated, representatives of the U.S. government approached him about potential revenues the U.S. could obtain from such practice. This discussion took place in 1967, and today, U.S. oligarchs make billions of dollars yearly without producing a senior manufactured product. Now, in a conservative mindset, the means justifies the end. Now, clearly, this is not morality. Whether the CIA exporting heroin from Afghanistan or cocaine from Central America or encouraging the availability of weapons, the ensuing death and destruction, irrespective of scale, is never sufficient enough for many conservatives to reevaluate their ideas. Even though Roberts attempt to indict liberal globalists for the problems confronting the U.S., the reality is all U.S. problems are self-inflicted, and conservatives have a front-row seat in what Roberts would define as Western hegemony or maintaining global control. With that, Brother Africa, I'll conclude. Thank you, Brother Aki. Next, we would like to welcome Brother Moses to Africa on the Move. Welcome, Brother Moses. Thank you, thank you, Brother Africa. And greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice. I'm going to change up a little bit tonight um, in my in- intro. Um, first, I want to say the correct Mao Zedong, Chairman Mao, taught me that the correctness or incorrectness of your ideological and political line is what's decisive. And that, uh, anyway, so in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. So Abraham had the word, and the word was God, and Abraham birthed Isaac, and Isaac birthed Jacob, and Jacob changed his name to Israel. Moses wrote the first four books of the Bible and delivered the children of Israel from bondage in Egypt. David sat on the throne as a nation of Israel and the government of Israel and the state of Israel 400 years after the dispersal of the nation of Israel. Jesus came on the scene and declared that his kingdom was not of this world, that he was no longer seeking um, the Messiah was not seeking a kingdom on earth. The, the Jews were no longer a nation, and he, they were to interdisperse inter- within the rest of the world. They had no right to sovereignty as a, as a government, as a state anymore. So this is a little brief history of, of the world in terms of the ideological struggle for justice and truth and and uh, freedom 
we have to accept. I have to accept, and I hope someday other people will have to accept that Jesus is God, and that His His wisdom is beyond our wisdom, and we have to accept His wisdom and govern ourselves accordingly. This is the failure of the of the Jewish state that's known as Israel today to accept land for heaven and heaven for land. That's the that's the the the, the oxymoron that they are faced with um and they don't have the the belief in the belief that uh freedom is having your own land and um that's that's they no longer accept heaven as freedom and uh that's the predicament they find themselves in so that's my i want to say that in, in place of my usual introduction thank you Thank you, Brother Moses. Next, we'd like to welcome Sister Eleanor. Welcome to Africa on the Moon. Sister Eleanor, the mic is yours. Okay. What we're going to do at this particular time, we're waiting for Sister Eleanor to take the mic, but she must be having yeah, hello. Yes, Sister Eleanor, the mic is yours. Brother I'd just like to say good evening to everyone, and thank you so much for allowing me on the show. My name is Eleanor Johnson, and I'm an artist, a human rights activist, former educator, and I am so delighted to be on the show today. In Washington, D.C., St. Augustine, was uh, uh, an African-American Catholic church is celebrating its 165th birthday. And it's surely been hard to be black and be Catholic, but Abraham Lincoln let the slaves sell their wares on the weekend to, to earn the money to purchase the land to build the church and the school still exists today. And uh, also, uh, we're looking forward to June 25th when there will be a major rally and demonstration in Lafayette Square asking that Cuba be taken off of the state terrorist list and that also uh, we stop the embargo because as the former guest said, Sanctions are death. It's a type of warfare. It deprives people of basic goods, medicine, building supplies, food, just very basic things, syringes, things we take for granted, drywall. But um, Brother Moses will uh, probably share more about this. And on the 24th, of June at the Presbyterian Church at 4th and N Street, Southwest, Washington, D.C. There'll be an evening program featuring um, the secretary from the Cuban Embassy and representatives from the Medical College as well. So there's a lot going on uh, uh, this month, and thank you so much for allowing me to be on the show this evening. 
Thank you, Sister Eleanor. As you can see, our sister may be one step ahead of us, but we will go to the segment of what's going on in your world community. What we're going to do right now, take a quick break, but when we come back, we will then entertain what's going on in your world and the community, and we would like to talk also in that segment a little bit about post-African Liberation Day. The past week or so, there have been a host of activities um, that have taken place by the AAPIPGC, and you can listen to all of the various activities that took place in the past month by going to their website, www.a-aprp-gc.org. And we'll talk a little bit about that as well. As well, we'll be right back. Don't you go nowhere because this is Africa on the move. It's a new African in the world. That new African is ready to fight his own battle. And after all, the black man is capable of managing his own world. Yes, we never did. Yeah, man, we sit on diamond. Yes, we go through pain. But the 
shiny man, thief with diamond, cool and tin, and ugly laugh and drink champagne. I want misleaders who say them will lead us. Ugly bitch, we and feel no shame. African people are eating more Chinese food now than trouble on plantain. Chinese man gone down with indigenous, just like them one insane. Here, everywhere you go now, black people dress on a cheap Chinese imitation like sugarcane. No wonder now, the churches in Africa sing Chinese hymns and a fire up to him. Make it up, yeah, 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 yeah. 
And uh, with that said, let me just get on to what I what I want to talk about. Um, now, one of the things, Brother Africa, you know, we talk about, you know, you know, we often refer to as Freudian slip. Uh, when people say things accidentally, they don't mean to say. It reveals a lot about who they are. And I'm often grateful when politicians actually engage in Freudian slips and they actually reveal who they really are, because it gives us some insight in terms of who not only who the people are, but why they why they adopt certain kinds of policies or certain take certain kind of positions. So this this understanding in terms of these Freudian slips are important in terms of really uh, coming to grips with really the the insane existence on this planet. Uh, and understanding that people who really think uh, that their views, in fact, are, uh, are, are somehow um, the only views that are that are that are that are tangible, the only views that have an, make any sense, uh, this frozen slip sort of put to rest this, this notion, in fact, that a lot of these views that these conservatives have, in particular, are in fact uh, uh, cogent or makes any sense at all. And then rather than rather than rather than bring about you know a a a, a better humanity. It contribute to all kinds of kind of social ills and problems. But in event, Brother Africa, I just thought I wrote this little about the importance in terms of these, these fraudulent slips among politicians and what we can glean from these slips. All right, now, now slip of the tongue reveals some innermost thoughts suppressed to prevent the revelation of ideas or perceptions we do not want the world to know. Often this tendency to guard what we really feel is done to prevent a true portrait of who we really are and our motivations revealing why we assume certain ideas or ideologies in life. Many Republicans are notorious for employing deception or deceit in an attempt to conceal the ruthlessness and viciousness of policies specifically aimed to inflict harm on the most vulnerable populations. This propensity often uses political institutions to deflect to the human posture, the inhuman posture, pointing out such inhumanity is a necessity if business of the state is to be achieved. Implicit in such reasoning is the notion only one view or idea has relevance, and any alternative view or idea is simply wrong unworthy of serious critique. Compromise or egalitarian pursuit of mass interests reflected in political policies is perceived as communism and as such worthy of being shunned. Arriving at that disposition, any idea should be dismissed. A body discourse suggests the level of insecurity in the individual such that something as mundane as words constitute a visceral threat. In the arena of politics, ideas are essential tools to serve the interests of the electorate. The electorate or voters' interests are diverse, even within a district. If those interests vary within a district, the only conceivable way to reflect those interests of the population is to engage other politicians, both liberal and conservative, in discussion to craft a compromise bill in telling many of the elements voters across the political divide agree upon. Refusal to acknowledge certain ideas has resonance while representing people with expressed interests of articulating those interests suggests hypocrisy plays a large part in the, in the body politic. More disconcerting, those individuals who pursue politics with mass power for themselves are more inclined to support or embrace policy that offers the best opportunity to hold on to power. The intent is not to label most politicians as sociopaths. Social political literature has postulated this thing for decades. But to point out the tendency of many politicians attempt at concealing their real motivations. Now, occasionally, politicians' innermost view services, exposing their motivations for seeking office in the first place which has little to do with serving others. One such example is Senator Mark Wayne Muller of Oklahoma. During a hearing held at the Senate Health Education Labor Committee on solving the child care crisis on affordability of child care, child care for working class families, Muller used the opportunity to showcase a book he opposed ideologically. The book entitled Our Skin is intended to instruct children 
or the insidious nature of racism. Here is a passage which says, quote, a long time ago, way before you were born, a group of white people made up an idea called race. They sorted people by skin color and said that white people were better, smarter, and prettier, and they deserved more than everybody else, end quote. Concluding the passage, Senator Bernie Sanders asked Mullins if he disagreed with the book. His response, 1,000%, he responded, before launching a, ty- a, ty- a excuse me, diatribe. How about, how, about, how about we teach Jesus love, he, he counted. Turning to one invited guest, he asked, so which, one of you, which idea is better? After being cut off from responding by Mullen, the guest responded, but the reality is, before she completed her sentence, Mullen again interjected stated, I don't want reality. Mullen's slip of his tongue revealed the unconscious motivation of his persistence in shutting down dialogue for one of two reasons. One, if he acknowledged the origin of racism, he would have to acknowledge the advantages of white skin privileges. And two, acknowledging the existence of racism would compel him to take responsibility to address a national disease of which he benefits. Even though he alleged he's a descendant of the indigenous Cherokee Nation, confronting racism's structural and historical roots would mean Mullins will have to access the hardships endured by the Cherokee and the role racism plays in their subjugation in their own land. Clearly, Mullins' position is self-serving. By relegating Jesus as a solution to human-made problems, he conveniently allows U.S. institutions off the hook. The very strange irony is without such institutions like the Senate, the odds of amassing status for himself becomes all more difficult. It stands to reason, by disavowing the existence of racism as pseudoscience, he inadvertently provides legitimacy to claims racism does not exist in the U.S. In elevating right-wing talking points around racism, even though social economic factors indicate racism pervasiveness, Mullen's unconscious drive for status increases the rightward drift in society, which, which becomes increasingly more intolerant for others who are deemed as, non-American, as non-Americans. Now in, the, in, now, in the era of U.S. fascism, words take on a more ominous tone. Trump, with the assistance of right-wing billionaires, were able to elevate dog whistles to a new height, designating Africans as the blacks, or excoriating blacks' ability to count casino earnings, or implying educated blacks' job prospects are better than educated whites, are all statements designed to reinforce racism. Even if we argue Trump a consummate moron lacks intelligence to, to be that devious, we still have to account for the right-wing conditioning that conditions many to see the world in black and white, not nuance. In furtherance of understanding far-right psychology, Florida's governor, Ron DeSatan, stated, if elected president, he would destroy leftism in the U.S. On the surface, one would think the word destroy connotes battle of ideas in which conservative ideology prevails. When he added woke ideology or tolerance would be vanquished as well, to the dustbin of history, his words took on a different meaning. His statements and combination connotes struggle against an enemy in which right-wing victories are assured by any means. Perhaps he thinks he can overturn the function of federal courts, ensuring only far-right judges are appointed, or, or use of presidential directives decisively, decisively to the right to create political policy in favor to conservatives. In his zeal to convey the, the fact hardship will be inflicted on the left, Politically, he fails to appreciate what he actually conveys is a clearing call to war to limit America's enemies. As far-right politicians, he is aware of the sensibilities of liberal and progressive voters. As such, angering this portion of the electorate is not wise, especially since this demographic is openly represented in large states, the large number of electors. With desperation so probable to become the next U.S. president, 
Why would he choose words that would incite violence? Perhaps his intent prior to win the election is not to inflame passion. Perhaps it's an attempt to appease Fox News' right, right-wing audience he embellished. In the process of embellishing, the unconscious desire to cure Democratic opponents who represent all ideas he abhors. The fact killing progressives and liberals will not kill the idea of genuine democracy is a clear indication truth often reveals itself even when attempts to conceal it falters among the most accomplished liars and con men the U.S. has to offer. And with that, Brother Africa, I'll conclude. Thank you, Brother Hakeem. Next, we'll go to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, what's going on in your world and community? The mic is yours. Thank you, thank you, Brother Africa. So we're going to keep on the tradition. Uh, we're in a revolutionary stage uh, tonight. I believe in getting to the root, i.e. radical. Jesus and the Bible propagate the laissez-faire philosophy of early merchants, and there is no getting around, quote, waiting for his return, unquote. Remember, there were no churches until John the Baptist and Jesus started the movement. It is well suited for the ruling class to continue ruling. I'm into liberation theology. Jesus reconciled humans and the God question. You don't reverse correct verdicts. That's why I bear witness that the only God is Jesus and that Mao is his messenger for government. The word is truth, and only the truth can set you free. There is a judgment day coming. There will be a revolution. Repetition is the mother of invention. Moses went to the mountain. Jesus was the mountain. The mountain came to Muhammad. He said, what's love got to do with it? These Christians are oppressing my people, so he wrote the Quran. Only a fool would say there is no God. Mao was the foolish old man who moved the mountain. The people of China stormed heaven in 1949. I hope I'm helping someone see the light. The rest of you are already enlightened, so I'm not trying to preach to the choir, but to those lost people who need to know the direction of history. Dr. King was in the race for the cure of racism within the USA. Someday the story will be fully told. Malcolm X was the leader who showed me the way, i.e. we were to have civil rights by any means necessary. He was red. There was to be, quote, the ballot or the bullet, unquote. Foreign policy is a continuation of domestic policy. You have to remember that the time. The USA was opposing communists viciously. They were assassinating our brothers who were conscious in Africa and throughout the third world. Malcolm and Martin were Afrocentric and committed to liberation and opposed to injustice everywhere. As Mao said, communists must have the largeness of heart to put the needs of the many above the needs of the few, including I and I. Obviously, those were not Mao's exact words. If a genuine revolutionary makes a mistake, then you can charge it to their mind and not to their heart, at the risk of sounding ridiculous. Does anyone start to build without a plan, without a vision or a dream? No. First, you measure the cost and decide if it's worth it. Longevity has its place. We forward in this generation triumphantly. Sometimes you have to realize that you cannot get blood from a turnip. You either accept the turnip or you don't. We communists hate evil and love good. 
This is not the time to question our faith. Either you are part of the solution or you are part of the problem. As Martin said, we want all our rights. We want them here and we want them now. I love the 99% in struggle. Thank you, Robert. Thank you, Brother Moses. And Sister Eleanor, is there anything additional you'd like to add to in terms of what's going on in your world and the community? Well, I'd like to once again mention the thing that I've seen yesterday, uh, the diaspora, which has really helped bring life back into church and a special program with education, talk, food, and uh, music uh, sharing of culture. Um, Also, um, Mayor Muriel Bowser did something quite phenomenal. The 3rd District Police Station, which is at 16th and B Street Northwest, and Engine Number 9, the fire department that is adjacent to it, on 16th and U Northwest, Washington, D.C., was given to developers at no cost to build a high-rise. And I'd just like to say that there should be a complete moratorium on any construction in the district that's 100, not 100% carbon-free and energy efficient. The District of Columbia, uh, the capital of the United States, is a medical desert. Four hospitals here, where there used to be eight or nine, and 250,000 people. Now we're a million people with only four hospitals. And that uh, you really have to change the world by taking political action where you stand. And we see how these 39 states have passed these voter suppression laws, and now we're having uh, books literally taken off of school shelves and out of libraries. And we see that uh, DeSantos and his propagandists really having an impact on the upcoming uh, election next year. So that's about it. It's a dangerous time, and it is really time for the elders to help the youth stand up and take control. And uh, it, it is so important to mentor and to lead someone uh, to carry on your political work. Uh, Thank you so much, uh, Brother Africa, for giving me these moments. Again, good evening to everyone, and I hope that our brother Anthony Williams uh, is doing well in rehab and will have a full recovery. Thank you. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. You know, panelists, um, hmm. Sister Eleanor, I want to make sure we heard you correctly. You stated that there are approximately about a million people in the D.C. metro area with only four hospitals? Yeah. It's about seven. The goal is to have a million. It might be only 800,000, but that's correct. You have MedStar facilities which operate uh, Washington Hospital Center in Georgetown. 
And then you have Howard University, which operates its hospital. It's being sold to the Adventist uh, Church or an Adventist Corporation, um, Medical Corporation, George Washington University, and Sibley Hospital. And Brother Africa, I have to remind you that because you have two buildings, MedStar, that does not make two hospitals. The policy of the administration is the same, and the doctors work at both facilities. And this is a real crisis. And to give away uh, the, the fire station, engine number nine, and the police station is outrageous, and the public is so un- uninformed until the developer tells you, oh, we'll put it in the building. We'll tear it down and reconfigure it. That's not what the city needs for its future, and it's not what the community needs right now. And the resolution that ANC, Advisory Neighborhood Commission 1C, had um, put through uh, supporting this this uh, transaction looks like it was literally written by the developer's attorney. So we need to really take a look at why suddenly it's so expensive to run as mayor in the District of Columbia. People need to go down to the Reeves Center, 2014th Street Northwest, and look at the campaign funding that all of our uh, leaders, the city council, the shadow senators, the money that they receive for their campaigns and where it comes from. Because I really feel that the developers are running up the cost of running for public office in the District of Columbia. Thank you. Thank you, Sister Brother Hatt-King. Um, listening to what we were just talking about in reference to a large number of populations and there are no health care facilities to take care of a number of people. And having an early discussion on the West is concerned about population growth, whereas in Western nations, their population rate is declining and other areas, particularly in Africa, is growing. Putting all of these things together, what can you project in terms of what they want to create when you know you have a lot of concentration of people and less self-care services? What's the end game in all of this? Well, I think, I think, brother, I think, brother, after the end game is always what it has been. It's all about the bottom line. It's about money. Uh, I think in that context, when you start talking about a million people in relatively small area and just four hospitals. And obviously, medicine has to prioritize. In other words, those individuals with, with, with bank uh, uh, have access to care. Those individuals who don't have access to bank, uh, their health care is compromised to the extent that they get any health care at all. And so clearly, when we think about in terms of this propensity, in terms of elevating you know, money over all things human or all things um, pertaining to humanity, uh, then we can certainly can expect, you know, a lot of uh, uh, a lot of injustices to to uh, to uh, manifest. I think that you know, on a global scale, brother Africa, I think when we talk about in terms of you know population, you know, increases decreases throughout the world. 
I think clearly, you know, one of the ways in terms of Western hegemony uh, remaining in, in place, uh, in order for them to be truly successful, I think they have to have a population that's manageable. I think certainly if you can certainly depopulate Africa, certainly make it certainly more, much, much easier in terms of being able to, to, to go back into Africa uh, or take over land and make the argument that, well, hey, it was depopulated, there was one here, so we moved in. Uh, so clearly, uh, it's all about uh, it's all about uh, political maneuvering, and of course, in doing such a thing in terms of political maneuvering, it all goes down to the bottom line. It's all about money, and unfortunately, you know, when, when you think about capitalism, which is just an ironic system, a very moronic system, uh, when you, when you think about it, in fact, if the issue is in fact all about economics, there's certainly more economics to be had if in fact you create a world in which the masses of people have access to more economics. The more access poor people have to economics, the more economics, the, the access to economics actually ex, increases. And so, therefore, when you talk about increasing you know, the monetary levels, you know, throughout society or throughout the world, then certainly if you have people, poor people around the world who have access to money, then they spend, they spend, they spend, which means that the circulation of money actually increases, which means access to more wealth actually increases. It doesn't decrease. Capitalism comes around and says that it's, in reality, it's really not about the money. It's really about the power, and so is and so and because it's about about the power, it's all kind of they engage in political maneuvering, which is all geared about maintaining power under pretext that in, in having that power, you know, we can preserve you know our access to wealth. In reality, it's the exact opposite. In fact, if you if you elevate the people who have access to that wealth, then you create your own, you create more wealth for yourself. But of course, capitalism won't allow these capitalists to think that way. And the bottom line is that for them. It's really, in the bottom line, it's really not about, it's really not about uh, uh, money per se. It's really about power and control. And that's the fundamental problem that we're confronted with. So when we talk about a situation in Washington, D.C., we talk about, you know, uh, subjecting, you know, uh, you know, a million people, you know, to inadequate health care by actually limiting the amount of, of hospitals that currently exist in Washington, D.C., then they're clearly they're making a statement for them. You know, money is, in fact, indeed, indeed a, a, a priority, but we cannot discount the fact you know, that in doing such a thing that you're relegating lots and lots of people to a miserable existence. Capitalism doesn't have a fundamental problem in terms of, you know, relegating people to a miserable existence, and this is a fundamental problem that we're confronted with. Until the masses of people realize and say to themselves, enough is enough, uh, until they're willing to take a stand, until they're willing to sacrifice to bring about desired results, the bottom line is capitalists going to do what the capitalists do, namely solidify power and control, and it's that simple. And I close with that. You know, you know, panelists, and I come to you in a second, Brother Moses, but, you know, panelists, I read some article, I think, we did on the history of the, of the Roman church, the history of the church of Europe and the development of European um, powers. And it was talking about this question of language, and really I'm trying to understand um, this question of language, the uses of words. And one of the things that came from the reading was that really the real uses of the word government and what really meant is domination. Anytime when they use the term government, what they really were talking about domination, domination of things, domination of people. And looking at what's going on today, and we talk about government. That seemed to be an adequate description of, of what they have been implementing since their existence arriving to arriving and being so-called in a position of power, a dominant. They will totally dominate 
people and things. So I'm just wondering in terms of, um, again, we've got to pay more attention to understanding the origins and uses of words and language so you can really understand the proper understanding of what we're dealing with. Brother Moses, in terms of what's going on in your world at the present time, Brother Moses, I know that we talk about this is the post-ARD, African Liberation Day, Palestine Day um, period of phase. And let's just talk a little bit about, you know, how, some of the highlights and some of the activities that you may have engaged in African Liberation Day this year as we're organized under the APIPGC. Anything that stood out or anything that you have learned from this past month under the banner of the African Liberation Day, Palestine Day under APIPGC? Your thoughts on some of the activities you may have engaged in, Brother Moses? Well, I was I was I think I participated in several events, um um calling in and uh, listening in and uh, uh I think the highlight probably was maybe Bob Brown's that uh 31st may be the a good good one to feature uh uh Certainly, God makes no slaves in the womb, and that the origin of that statement I learned, and uh, the struggles for uh, equal rights and justice. Uh, I, I'm impressed with the A A R P um, G C, and in terms of it being the vanguard of the movement. I mean, I feel like you know. The vanguard, you know, the movement has to have the apex and um, not a minority but a chosen few. And uh, and I, I'm very impressed, very impressed. Uh, uh, I'll leave it right there. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. Sister Eleanor, as well as I understand and notice you may have participated in some of these activities. Are there any things that stood out for you? Uh, Miss you concerning African Liberation Day mm-hmm. and Palestine Days that you may have been a participant of. Mm-hmm. Sister Eleanor. Well, I, uh, yes, thank you. I had an opportunity to be, uh, listen live to the event on the 31st of May, and uh, I think that was a Tuesday, and then there was one on a Saturday. And uh, I had an opportunity to listen to all the programs, Brother Bob Brown, and uh, uh, that was a beautiful program. And then, of course, African Liberation Day itself, uh, that was just fantastic. So uh, it was uh, informative, educational, and unifying. Uh, and that's a beautiful thing. We need to be organized and learn to accept each other and work together with humility and respect to bring about real radical change. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. Brother Haki, I don't know if you had a chance to participate in the activities, but I would like to address the issue of when we talk about this institution, you're talking about 65 years of this ongoing this institution. 
75 years of ongoing institution of Palestine and not by day. What does that say about the continuation of this, these type of institutions from your perspective? Well, I, I tell you, you have to marvel at the uh, at the longevity. Uh, it, it's not easy, you know, uh, you know, uh, organizing over 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 a long period of time. Uh, you know, uh, unfortunately, you know, a lot of times, you know, uh, uh, people become, um, you know, dejected. Uh, they become, um, for lack of a better term, demotivated. Uh, they become um, apathetic. Uh, all kinds of things happen in terms of derailing, you know, organization. So for organization to persist for six or five years suggests there's a certain amount of seriousness, a certain amount of conviction in terms of doing what they're doing. And so that alone, you have to you have to really marvel at uh, the the persistence, or the ingenuity, or, or the determination of people, you know, in the organization, you know, who uh, who are stick who stuck with the organization, who continue, you know, ensure that the organization thrive. Because indeed, it's what the people need. I, I think that uh, one one of the things that you know, I, I think uh, shout out to Brother Bob Brown in terms of in terms of you know his personal commitment. In terms of you know organization, uh, certainly Bob Brown is an inspiration to all of us, you know, who struggle you know against tremendous odds in terms of trying to bring about a more just and harmonious world. Uh, so I think uh, the organization itself is certainly indicative in terms of you know uh, you know um, in, uh, demonstrating those same types of values in terms of determination and, and, and tenacity in terms of uh, doing what it needs to do in terms of making sure that. Uh, you know, this organization survived. So that alone, you know, I think was very, very impressive. Okay, panelists, you listen to Africa on the Move. What we're going to do is we're going to take a station break, and when we come back, we're going to make a transition towards that theme, Africa will be free. In the process of making this transition, we can start you all with this clipping right here as it relates to this question of African unity. So we want to listen to it, and when we come back, we will be discussing the theme, Africa Will Be Free. Plain speaking. And for the sake of Africa, let us speak plainly. As I see, our greatest danger stems from disunity and the inability to see that the realization of our hopes and aspirations, the realization of our objective of total African independence, 
and of our future progress and prosperity is inextricably bound up with the necessity to unify our policy and actions in connection with the continuous struggle for independence and the greater tax of economic and social construction beyond it. We need unity within the ranks of independent states. We need unity within the ranks of the freedom fighters still struggling to achieve independence. And we need unity between the already independent states and the freedom fighters. I do not think that too much stress can ever be laid upon this need for unity. It is our unity that imperialist agencies are trying every means to obstruct and sever. It is the idea of African unity that they fear most. It seems only intelligent therefore for us to close our ranks and compact our forces. If we independent states were unified in a political and economic union, having a common foreign and defense policy, controlling a unified military command, you should be in a much stronger position to assess the territory still struggling for independence. An overall economic plan covering an Africa united on a continental basis must increase our total industrial economic power. Hence, our combined strength, reinforced by a common purpose, would add enormously to the united front which we could stand against the enemy. So long as we remain disunited, so long as we remain balkanized, whether regionally or in separate national units, we shall be at the mess of imperialism and colonialism. We must therefore face the issue of African unity now. For only unity will make the artificial boundaries and regional demarcations imposed by colonialism obsolete and superfluous. African unity will thus provide an effective remedy for border disputes and international troubles. In a united Africa, there could be no frontier claims between Ethiopia and Somalia, or between Zanzibar and Kenya, Guinea or Liberia, or between Ghana, Togoland and the Ivory Coast. Because because we would regard ourselves as one great continental family of nations. Among the new states in Africa are some which, through fragmentation, have been left so weak economically that they are unable to stand on their own feet. This is the result of a deliberate policy of the withdrawing colonial powers who have created in Africa several small, feeble, unstable and unbearable states in the hope of ensuring their continued dependence upon the former colonial power for economic and technical aid. Indeed, the intention goes further than that and is more insidious. It is to produce a political atmosphere as dangerous to the safety and progress of African independence as that which followed the establishment 
of the many friable nations which were created in Eastern Europe by the Congress of Vienna in 1814 to 1815. The underlying design is to induce national jealousies and rivalries such as nourish the outbreak of the First World War. At best, it is hoped that such a policy may lead to open conflict. At worst, it must present tough obstacles to the movement for total African freedom and African unity. This is the inner plan of new colonialism, the latest instrument of imperialism. While relinquishing political rule, it contrives to control the foreign and internal policy of the state. It still dominates through the pastoral of material aid. In effect, only the outward forms have changed, but the substance of colonialism remains just the same. Foreign imports are still protected. Local development is clamped down. Social progress is retarded. And fiscal policy is controlled from the metropolitan capital. The impact of these semi-independent states on the liberation of Africa is calamitous. Bound up as they are with the policies of their sponsors, they are unable to take a determined, independent line on issues involving the colonialists and the still enslaved people of this continent. Some of the leaders, it must be confessed, do not see the struggle of their brother Africans as part of their own struggle. Even if they did, they would not be free to express their solidarity. This rift are consciously created by the imperials between Africans where they can sit back and watch with sly satisfaction as well as contempt for those who fail to see how they are being used against Africa's best interests. Regrettably, regrettably, those states include some who were among the freedom fighters of yesterday and who haven't won their independence are willing to drop it for some token aid and thereby deny to those still struggling for freedom even their moral support. Here is a phenomenon against which all African freedom fighters must be on their guard and resist to the utmost. Even though I appreciate the difficulties facing us, I must admit I find it strange to watch some of us returning willingly to the colonialist fold. This time, they don't even have the excuse of being forced to subject themselves to foreign domination. It makes one wonder why so much effort and sacrifice and so many lives were given up to the achievement of independence in the first place if it can only be so quickly and easily surrendered. Unhappily for us, colonialism creates in some intellectual allegiances which are not severed at the moment of independence 
that remain to condition loyalties away from Africa towards the metropolis would join them. They are unable, it would appear, to accept the idea that Africans can get together to make a viable and growing concern of a combined African continent, but rather see their salvation in coming together in association like the Franco-African community mooted recently at Bangu. Although there are many here who speak English, French, Spanish, or Portuguese, nevertheless, we are all Africans. Africans fighting for Africa's independence, Africa's unity, Africa's future. That's right. Unite for the sake of your people. Unite for the sake of your children. Unite for the sake if you want to be free. Unite. Africa must and will unite. Welcome back to Africa on the Moon. Before we took our break, we were talking about African Liberation Day that took place this past month under the banner of the AAPRPGC. We would like to be mindful that this year's theme was Pan-Africanism waging class struggle in Africa and the diaspora, fighting for one unified socialist Africa. As we listen to that clipping just now back on second for Kwame Nkrumah, the first president of Ghana, where he talk about this question of Africa becoming free and unified. He was struggling for that from its inception from 57 to the creation of 64 the OAU and continuing on trying to tell Africa and African people, Africa must unite as one. Now, there are some interesting um, documentaries we would like to share with the listening audience if you get a chance around this question of Africa will be free. We'd like for you to check out um, this documentary, a video on YouTube titled White Supremacist said this and instantly regretted the, the clapback of the century. And there's another video that was interesting. We're going to discuss that a little bit. We encourage you to check out. There's a video titled Watch. African must focus on Africa problems. PLO Lumumba. Both of those videos can be found on YouTube. And it raises a question, really this question Africa, will it be free? And to my panelists, let's just have just a dialogue in general around the thing. Africa will be free. Is as we listen to Brother Nkrumah just now, I'm thinking for Kwame Nkrumah, and look at those two documentaries. There were several things came to mind and points of um, interest. I would like for y'all to extrapolate a little bit on it. 
I'll start with over with you, Brother Haki. One of the points that Brother Lamuma, P.L. Lamuma made in, in that particular video that he was being interviewed in was around this whole question of why it's important for Africa to operate and function as a collective bloc as they deal with the rest of the world and the West. And we're talking about at the present day, Africa is in the process of maybe creating larger collective economic entities among countries to act as one when it comes to economic development and trade. But he also said that there are already attempts by the West, France, U.S., Germany, China, etc. There are attempts now to try to neutralize this process of these countries acting as one collectively when we talk about doing um, economic trade throughout the global world. And he said that a lot of these countries now, after they create these collective blocks, what the West does is come back and try to position them and force them to enter into bilateral, bilateral relationships, one-on-one. And that's undermined the whole process for Africa being in a better position of better trade and having more sense-so in terms of um, uh, reaping economic gains and profits. Um, so, Brother Haki, I would like for you to just talk about the importance of the contradiction of these little microstates that were created by the West through the Berlin Conference cannot adequately be in any kind of economic position to uh, compete with these global global entities such as the West, such as a powerful country as China, etc. Your response on the need why it makes sense that Africa must begin to recognize these little microstates were set up for failure. Your response, Brother Haki. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Uh, of course, we understand how the West set up its sphere of influence, and the whole point was to not only to to exploit Africa, but to create a, a political paradigm which makes it almost impossible for Africa to achieve any power on a real level. So, of course, when we talk about real power, it comes from being able to talk with one voice. And so, in that context, if you have to have those mic- those micro states have to work in unison with, with with much with much larger states in terms of bringing about you know, uh, a, a, a platform in which Africa's interests will be respected. Uh, without that, the reality is that what happens essentially is that the West simply, uh, you know, divide and conquer. They pick and choose different African states to implement different kinds of policies for the sole purpose in terms of overall destabilizing Africa overall. And so, therefore, you know, if we're going to put an end to this stabilization program, then there has to be a unified Africa in terms of speaking one voice to make damn sure you know, that that the West doesn't have the opportunity in terms of manipulating, you know, one state against another in terms of achieving its agenda, ultimately resulting in the stabilization of the entire African continent. Uh, one of the things I, I, I think that, uh, you know, when we talk about the, the regional blocks, Brother Africa, I, I think it is a good thing, that, you know, that, that you have this, you know, you have, you know, uh, ECOWAS, and West Africa has SETC, uh, you have the Eastern Bloc and, uh, of Eastern African states. You have these unions, uh, uh, you know, coming to existence in Africa, which is a good thing. But here's the problem in terms of those blocks. The problem is still one in terms of chain, you know, um, uh, controlling your currency. Uh, that's, that's one of the problems. 
if you don't control your currency or the value of your currency, there's no way to control the value of of your of your uh, of, of your commodities. And as such, those commodity prices have still been set by the West. And so Africa fundamentally has to understand that even though ideologically it's good in terms of creating regions, but if you don't have your own banking sector, specifically in terms of value, evaluating your, 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 your commodities or, 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 or establishing a currency for sole purpose for trade, then the bottom line is you're still at the, at, the, at the behest of Western states who don't have your interests at heart. And this is the fundamental problem that we, we, we understand. And which alluded to in terms of the West, in terms of trying to implement policy, in terms of essentially to uh, to undermine the, the, the development of these regional blocks. I think at this point in the history, brother Africa, it's too late to put them to do that. The only thing they can do now is continuation of uh, of imperialism through banking and investment. If Africa shut that door, if Africa creates a way in terms of innovating a bank as Gaddafi tried to do, uh, establishing a currency. Uh, establishing, you know, uh, infrastructure which controls commodity prices, then Africa is in a way to, 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 to politically control its destination. But I think that is key in terms of Africa moving forward. Also, Brother Africa, you mentioned you talked about, you know, China. Uh, of course, China is a different ballgame. I mean, no one, no one would want to uh, uh, compare China's uh, motivations with the West. But the bottom line is that when, we, when we're talking about, you know, uh, competition for resources, one of the things we've got to understand that China is no different than any other state in terms of trying to get the most for the less. In that context, China also has a, a, a interest in terms of making sure it receives African resources, you know, at, at, you know, in a way which is uh, possible to themselves. It doesn't make China a bad a, a bad country. Uh, it does what countries do. The bottom line is it become is incumbent upon African states to understand this reality and, and not to be complacent and simply say, well, listen. Not as bad as the, US, as the West, and so therefore we can do business with China. You also have to approach relationships with China in a way in which you have to advocate for African self-interest. You have to, which means that certain business deals that are that are approved or certain business deals that are anticipated may not be approved in the final analysis because the bottom line is that it may be conducive in terms of Africa's growth. But African states have to collectively make a decision in terms of what is viable and what is not. If you continue to do that individually, then the same thing is going to happen that the West has always done. China is simply going to go through those states in which they can work with uh, to the detriment of, con- of the continent of Africa as a whole. Africa doesn't have a choice. Without, u- without unity, without a unified social Africa, the bottom line is that they're at the behest of, of political planning by countries who are not necessarily doing it out of, out of hatred for the continent of Africa, but doing it simply because, you know, uh, as, as I alluded to earlier, States often move to enhance what is in their best interest, and there's certainly nothing wrong in terms of pursuing your, your interest. That's fine, but it shouldn't be in the interest of Africa. But if Africa is not organized, then inevitably what's going to happen, China interests are going to be protected while the interests of Africa will not be protected, which means that quantitatively or qualitatively, uh, Africa finds itself in the same predicament it has in terms of the West. This is not to demonize uh, China. China's done some great things in Africa. And that, that, listen, let's be very, very clear on that point. Let's be very, very clear on that point. Af- China has done some great things in Africa. There's no question about that. And certainly in terms of its lending standards, you know, it, it has a business protocol it has to abide by. In that context, as a businessman, the bottom line is about profitability. That pursuit of profitability lends organizations or institutions in China to take upon or to engage in activities 
which are not in the interest of Africa. So Africa itself must stand and say, listen, we must fundamentally define our interests. But all of the, in order for Africa to define those interests, Africa has to be unified and socialized, social, social, and, 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 and socialized. In that context, Africa stands united, and the opportunity for exploitation and idea in terms of using one African state against the other becomes impossible to achieve simply because you have this community, you have this, 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 um, you have this, uh, this, this, this conglomeration in place of Africa, uh, that's uh, this unity of Africa in place, which negates against or, or prevents this kind of manipulation from taking place in the first place. Uh, one of the things, I, I'm going to conclude with this, Brother Africa, but I think I just want to mention this, is that uh, I'm happily here, the brother, the brother, the president of, of Kenya, uh, William Ruto, I'm, I'm happily here, you know, that he's advocating in terms of, you know, devaluation, devaluing devaluation, getting rid of the dollar. I'm good that now he's talking about that the only solution for Africa is pan-Africanism. He's saying this. I, I, I really never thought I'd hear the Kenyan president say that pan-Africanism is the future. Because when we talk about colonialism, colonialism is very, very strong in Kenya. So for, for, the, for, for the president, Rudo, to say that, listen, pan-Africanism is the future of Africa, I'm so happy to hear that. Finally, somebody out of Kenya actually said that we got to have pan-Africanism. This brother is, should be supported and should be encouraged, but I'm very concerned that given the fact that he's so uh, candid in terms of his analysis, I'm concerned in terms of potential, you know, some destabilization of some attempt on his life in terms of as one who's standing up, you know, for what is in the best interest of Africa. So, but again, I'm just happy that he's making that concern. But to ask your question about Africa, you know, what a strong, unified, socialist Africa, the bottom line is that it doesn't matter who we're talking about. Any outside entity doesn't necessarily have the interest of Africa at heart, but Africa itself must have its own interest at heart and operate in that manner. And I'll close with that. Brother Aki, you throw me for a loop. I was going down one road and just based upon what you just, what you just stated, you create another road for me to travel down. Before we let you go, I'd like for you, like for you to respond to uh, the situation of um, um, Brother Lamoon talks about um, some things that Africa need to do to to create this, this this condition for a continental Africa, a unified Africa. Currency will one the issue. You also talk about the issue of getting rid of these visas where Africans should be able to travel across any border without having any kind of visa. And he was saying if it's just a money issue, they could just what they could do was just get rid of the visas and tell people they have to pay an interest fee just to come in. At least they'll get the money. And you also talk about this question of getting rid of these documents, working documents, where they make it very difficult for Africans to come in other countries to, to work. If they could get rid of, rid, get rid of these kind of um, barriers, it would really put Africa in a stronger position to create its own dynamic in terms of in terms of a, 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 a economy that could be value-driven internally for the interests of Africa and more competitive uh, with the outside world. Your response to those kind of changes, because we don't understand why the AU talking about doing these kind of things in 2064. Why so long to do these basic things? When, when Europeans came to Africa, they divided them up in less than three, four years. So in terms of getting rid of the visa thing, making documents, working documents a lot more easier or none of this so Africans can travel wherever they are to work and trade, and as well as this, 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 this policy of um, 
having the African bank. I thought it really interesting when you talk about the credit cards. How they got Africans doing credit cards, but what that does is all the money flow outside of Africa and don't stay in. So speak on those um, suggestions of concrete things we could do at this point in time. Don't have to take six or more years. Your thoughts on that, brother? <laughs> Africa? It, well, well, brother Africa, it, it's indeed um, somewhat perplexing when you think about it in terms of the injustices. Of centuries of, of injustice being inflicted upon Africa, you would think that um, uh, uh, African leaders would wake up and say, damn, you know, with, with all this injustice going back centuries, it ends today. You would think that would be a natural term of events. But the bottom line is that conditioning is a very powerful thing. People are conditioned to believe or to think a certain way, and trying to get them to think and believe a different way is somewhat difficult a lot of times. And so uh, when we talk about in search for African unity, it's not a very easy thing to do because even today in the 21st century, we still got a lot of African leaders who are committed to the West for whatever reason. Uh, I think that's less the case now, but I think that you still have them in Africa who are committed to the West for some other reason, and uh, in which what Kwame Nkrumah talked about, he was hard-pressed to even understand what is this, 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 this propensity to want to be uh, colonized, you know, by the West. What is that all about? I mean, you know, uh, why do you run to be colonized? So it, it becomes a bit perplexing in understanding this dynamic. But in the case of America, we also understand this so-called, this, this, this that exists in the minds of many of our people also persists. And we have many of our people who fight against the empowerment of African people under the guise, you know, that they support the system at the expense of their own people and think it is just immoral. And so we talk about it being conditioning, so that's a thing that's a, that's a fact of life, and we chip away at it very, very slowly, uh, you know, but Africa is such a large place. And so we've been, organized, and we've been raising these issues, you know, for centuries around in terms of, you know, African empowerment, and just now it's beginning to come to, uh, begin to receive, come to some fruition in terms of increasing number of African leaders beginning to understand that you know, our destiny lies in our hands and we must do something about it. Now, you mentioned P.L.O. Lumumba. Uh, you know, uh, he's absolutely correct. Um, the currency is the key, Brother Africa, because you know, one of the things, you know, when we talk about currency and you talk about the value of currency, and when, it, when, when the Bretton Woods and the Western states made agreement in terms of establishing the value of currency when they left Africa out, when they, when they say that African currency has no value, literally, that's what they're saying. African currency has no value. In fact, in order for African countries to borrow, in order for them to invest, they must do so in Western currency. That is ironic. How is it that you take African resources, take its commodities, but then you turn around and tell them to listen, your money is no good here, your, your money is no good here, that you must use our currencies in terms of investment and, and, and so forth and so on. Uh, so clearly, currency is key. Africa must have a unified currency. There's no question about that. That's going to be a struggle in Brother African order to, to achieve in terms of unified currency. That's, so, that's, so when we talk about the question of conditioning, that's the question of conditioning comes into being. Because once you start talking about currency, with, the, with, with, with a unified currency comes a lot of power. And so when you create that currency, you know, someone, someone is going to say, well, given, given my economic output, given all the commodities, all the minerals, all the things I have in this country, that, you know, that certainly when we talk about establishing the value of a currency, my, uh, that commodity should reflect that reality. Well, in order to have a unified currency, it can't necessarily reflect the value in terms of economic output per state. It simply can't do that. It has to incorporate the overall good, you know, for the entire African continent. And whether or not we can achieve that, you know, that becomes a struggle around this, our, our consciousness. 
those of us who understand and assess it in terms of forget about our, our, our individual countries in terms of their, their economic output or the kind of commodity they bring to the table, let's concentrate on what is overall good for Africa, and let's set this, let's set this currency in a way in which it's consistent with overall good for the entire African continent. That's going to be a real struggle, Brother Africa. I wish I could say, in all honesty, that it's not going to be a difficult struggle. It's going to be a very difficult struggle because you've got a lot of history, you've got a lot of tradition, uh, and, and you got and, and let's let's face it. I mean, some some countries in terms of economic output are much stronger than others. You do have that. That's a reality. So to, to overcome the, the the to overcome that argument, I think it's going to call for a certain amount of consciousness in which quintessential uh, thrust in terms of being free is to unite that currency to fight against those powers outside of Africa who wish to continue to to to, to colonize. And, uh, and, and to marginalize Africa economically. And that's going to be a struggle. I think uh, P.O. Lumumba, Professor Lumumba is correct. I think visas would be a good thing in, in terms of borders. In terms of Africans should be able to move around freely without being constrained in terms of moving around. Of course, with that comes uh, certain, uh, certain, um, certain possibilities. Uh, it, we do understand that there are Africans who are not necessarily above board in their motivations. Uh, we do understand that Africans who are necessarily committed to the Department of Africa, and who might use the opportunity to move freely from border to border to uh, to raise to, to to create havoc in different African states. That is always always a possibility. Of course, in that context, then, then you know, unfortunately, you know, uh, you know, when, when when such individuals are, are rooted out and and they, and 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 they're being uh, implicated in terms of doing things that are counterproductive to African survival, then certainly they should be dealt with harshly. But that is a consideration. When you start talking about moving freely, uh, Africans should be able to move freely. And uh, you, as you alluded to earlier, that was a discussion that took place back in '64. And the question becomes, and here in the 21st century, why hasn't that been implemented? I think, again, it comes down to a question in terms of tradition, uh, uh, history, and a lot of other factors, subjective factors that play uh, in terms of uh, informing people as to what they should do and shouldn't do in terms of, you know, visas, you know, for Africans, for African people. Also, Brother Africa, I think, and finally, I'll just close with this. I think, you know, the question around, you know, of visas to travel freely, I, I think that that that's, that that should be a, a given. Uh, you know, I think as it currently stands, uh, uh, travel for Africans a lot of time is somehow uh, undermined uh, by that economic standards. In other words, if you, if you have money in the bank but not a sufficient amount of money in the bank, uh, your ability to travel becomes constrained. Uh, so I think that fundamentally has to change. Uh, I don't think only wealthy Africans should have the ability to, to travel. I think that uh, that has to be addressed. Because I think the more Africans get out to different parts of the world and see different parts of the world, then the more Africans are better able to go back go back home and, and, to, and to convey to the masses of the people the reality of the situation that exists around the world. Because there's a tremendous amount of uh, tremendous, uh, tremendous amount of uh, uh, Ignorance when it comes to in terms of you know uh, you know things that go into different states, and so one of the things that to clarify this ignorance, we need Africans to come abroad, to go abroad, to see what's going on in different parts of the world, go back home, and explain to people precisely what's going back home. And once people get an adequate understanding in terms of the reality outside of Africa, then they begin to understand why it's so important, why it's imperative that Africa organize, that all that Africa unify, that Africa do these things that PLO. PLO Lumumba talked about in terms of the in terms of development of the African continent. So I think PLO Lumumba is absolutely correct. In fact, PLO Lumumba is one of the leading voices on the continent. He alone uh, is one of the few in terms of actually, you know, articulating 
the very, very real needs of African and boldly saying to the African people that, listen, we must engage in some self-critique. We do a lot of things that are counterproductive and self-destructive. We must ask yourself, why are we doing this? And so for that, uh, P.I.L. Lumumba has to be saluted in terms of the stance that he take. And I'm, I'm surprised. I just hope, you know, as I alluded to in terms of, um, in terms of uh, President Ruto, uh, one of my concerns is that we have African leaders, you know, again, uh, both out of Kenya. We have African leaders who are committed to Africa but willing to speak truth to power. There's oftentimes a price to pay. And I'm very concerned about uh, Professor Pierre Lumumba uh, in terms of, you know, uh, in terms of his effectiveness, in terms of getting African leaders to understand or to make, really take a good hard look at themselves in terms of the kind of policies, the kind of policies uh, that they um, – that they embrace to the detriment of the continent of Africa. So clearly, Brother Africa, you know, I think that uh, much work has to be done with Africa, but I think PLM was absolutely correct. Uh, uh, a multitude of things have to be done in terms of truly empowering Africa, and we'll wait and see what happens. And keep our fingers crossed. Thank you, Brother Haki. Sister Eleanor, talk to me. I know you believe in the youth. The future of the world belongs to the youth. When you look at when you look at this um, video, the first, the first video titled White Supremacy, and instantly regret it, that the young African sister, she really articulates her feeling towards what has historically happened and continue to happen as it relates to Africa and its interaction with European powers. Do you believe as well as in the other video that the message from the video is that if these changes are going to take place, it's going to have to be the youth to bring about these changes. Just out of normal. I think we lost Sister Eleanor. What we're going to do is go to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, can you speak to this question of changes are going to take place, the youth are going to have to lead the way. How did you do the attitude of the young sister dealing with white supremacy as she talked about her feeling towards how the West and Europe have treated Africa and continue to treat Africa? This is that righteous indignation. I certainly, you know, the, the, the European and the superpowers have been um, robbing Africa of its resources and not fairly compensating them for the taking out of their birth, their natural resources, and including the African slaves uh, in the diaspora and around the world. Um, the whole history of how capitalism developed off the backs of Africans. Um, so she has a righteous indignation. Uh, uh, you know the the future of Africa is bright uh, because it belongs to the intelligent. It belongs to those who are organized and who are willing to sacrifice for the struggle. Um, the difference between a communist and a social, socialist and communist and a capitalist is that the socialists and communists uh, have what we call altruism, the ability to sacrifice. And do for others when you have no interest, when it's not in your interest or not um, benefiting you to do it, other than just the, the goodwill of knowing you've done a good deed. And um, certainly, a socialist country like Cuba, 
you know, uh, fighting in Angola was truly a, a, a sign of compassion and empathy and um, charity and love and um, altruism. And so, you know, we, we distinguish the socialist countries from capitalist countries because the behavior is different. So China and Africa, if it's China is truly socialist, is going to be different from from capitalism. Um, China has has disinterested aid to 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 countries, and uh, and certainly there's the, you know we're still uh, fighting capitalism, um, and capitalism still exists in socialist society, and so so there is a struggle against the capitalist tendency, but um, hopefully socialism is the dominant trend in the society. And I'll leave it right there. Thank you. You know, Brother Moses, before I let you go, I would, I would like for you also respond to this question of the sister when you talk about her passion of, of speaking to the behavior of the West as it relates to Africa. She pointed out the contradictions of how they claim Africa has no way of creating processes to move forward, to develop. And when they get leaders who are on their path, the West has the history of assassinating their leadership. She talked about this this whole question, which was really interesting in terms of this, this, the psychology of, of what human beings do when they get access to other people's uh, resources and material. She raised the question, Brother Moses, that what do you draw from if the gunpowder was discovered by the, in Asia by the Chinese man and it took the European 300 years to get to China, and once they discovered the powder, where the Chinese people had access to this, and they could have had access to guns, but they never went around the world to use force, use those tools to oppress the people. But when Europe first came in contact with it, that was the first thing they came up with it. What does that say about a people and now relationship of discovering ideals that come from the outside from other people? Your response. Well, first... Am I still on? Yeah. Yes, you um, are. Certain, certainly, you know, we have to take into consideration uh, political consciousness and uh, the ability to have uh, conscience, um, um, the ability to, to do things like Bradley Manning when he he exposed the uh, war crimes. Um, it, it, it took our courage to go against the grain of of uh, the U.S. Army and the war machine, uh, it takes conscience, and that 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 aspect of human life uh, uh, you can't account for uh, per se. Um, it's it's either there or it's not there. Um, we we know you know we train up children to to grow up and. And teach them to try to go to do the correct. Sooner or later, it has to be an independent mental uh, decision to uh, to do what is correct. And then, and, and uh, you know, the what's the difference between between um, Netanyahu and uh, and uh, Biden? You know. Um, uh, it's subject to the conditions and conditioning of, of the society they were brought up in and the ideas they were exposed to. And, 
And so, you know, we're all human and we have, we have the capacity to change, but there's an internal internal conscience, an internal vital intellectual idiosyncrasy of personality that we all have and and um uh, and you either love good and hate evil and you see evil for evil or you don't um we all condition differently you know one person what one i see the whole project of israel of israel as a as an evil project um but other people see it as you know somehow uh, God's will being carried out on earth or something. So we we just some you can't account for differences of opinion. Sometimes you either accept you accept the turnip or you don't. Can't get blood from a turnip. And so, you know, the righteous indignation of this young lady is you know she knows history and she knows how she's been oppressed and uh, and she can she can explain it. And so that's good. Thank you. Thank you, brother Moses, brother Haki. Um, we have asked the listening audience to check out those two videos and um, take a look at them because they inspire you in so many ways. Now, when you speak of the issue of being self-defined, being self-determined, understanding that you have the power and the right to define what is, both of them would agree to this position that Brother Pierre Lamour took that Africans need to begin to redefine what is. For example, we need to redefine what democracy is to us and place our own definition on democracy. Do you agree with that that assessment, that narrative, Brother Haki, why is that is important? And the sister took it to even to a further point that she no longer wants to hear any other opinion coming from them. They have had that chance and it's no longer part of the narrative. Exactly. <laughs> your response. Yeah, well, yeah, well, Brother Africa, it, 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 you know, it, it, it goes back to consciousness. And that, that sounds pretty rudimentary, pretty elementary, but but the bottom line, it goes, it goes back to consciousness, something Brother Moses was saying. You know, it, you know uh, the, the, the ability to, to, to feel what is right uh, and to discern what is right, it's not a trait that is, that is, that is um, unique to all human beings. Uh, some of us, we, we intuitively know what, you know, uh, what is right and what is wrong. Others struggle with a difficulty in terms of assessing what is right and what is wrong. And so as a consequence, people do all kinds of horrible things under guise as it's a good thing. And so even though you can't intellectually def- understand it or define such behavior, nonetheless, it does exist. And so this lack of consciousness uh, uh, is, is like any duality in society. You know, you have opposites. So you have people who are conscious, you have people who are unconscious. And so people who are unconscious typically do horrible things, and they do horrible things under God that what they're doing is right and just. People who are conscious tend to see the good of things and want to see a better, a better, a better way of doing things, a better world. And so we're always going to have that dynamic that exists in, in life. And so I don't know how we're going to overcome it. Uh, I, I suspect that the, the, the conscious element of, of human society is probably greater than the unconscious, but the, un, but the conscious element is much more disorganized than the unconscious element. The unconscious element is much more organized. And so there's a, as a result they're able to carry out their, their agenda. 
I think in the context of when you talk about democracy, Brother Africa, you know, is ironic though, right? When you talk about democracy, uh, you know, even though you keep we keep telling people that in, in context of American society, democracy doesn't exist. Well, when you tell people in America democracy doesn't exist, they tell you you don't know what you're talking about because they hear it on TV, they read the papers, or they've been told at school that America is a democracy. Of course, we understand just from a constitutional point of view that there's no such thing as democracy. In fact, uh, democracy frowns, I mean, the Constitution frowns on democracy. Certainly, the so-called founding fathers, you know, they, they had no use for democracy. And so when we talk about democracy or the egalitarianism, the greatest good for the greatest number, clearly when you look at it in terms of social, political institutions in society, when you look at the disparity between the haves and the have-nots, you look at the suffering index in the society, then clearly most people don't partake in the riches of the society, which tells you that no democracy exists nor will it ever exist. And so to the extent that we can redefine democracy, then we say that in order to bring, in, bring it to this and true democracy, then we must have socialism. And socialism is very ironic because when you talk about socialism in the context of capitalist society, they give socialism to wealthy people, but they give capitalism to poor people. In other words, every, every advantage conceivable is given to wealthy people, whether we talk about investment, when we talk about access to investment, money for investments, or, or having access to, to deals, all that is a benefit to, to wealthy people. But poor people, you get nothing. You get the capitalism. You get the lack of jobs. You get the lack of housing. You get the lack of edu- quality education. You get the lack of all these things. So you get the capitalism, and they get the socialism. So we're going to reimagine democracy, then we have to say that, listen, we want socialism. We want a system which respects human beings, which respects human beings' right to exist, uh, which understands that we have a, a, a imperative, a moral, if not a political imperative, to share the resources of the planet with everybody and not just a certain segment of society, in particular the 1% of the population. Uh, so clearly, you know, Brother Africa, that is going to be a struggle because, again, we're talking about conscious versus unconscious, and that fight is, is, that fight is not going to be an easy fight. Uh, unless the conscious forces in society are organized to fight against the unconscious, then the bottom line, the unconscious is going to call the shots which means that they, they, everything they do is going to be to the detriment of the people who are conscious, you know, in, you know, in the world and throughout the society. Thank you, Brother Haki, to our listening audience. I'm Brother Abaco, I'm in the seat. I'm going to take the heat. We're in the seat, and we're going to take the heat. Because as we define it, we're going to stand behind it. We may not give you what you want, but we'll do the best we can to give you what you need. Right now, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to ask our panelists to give us their final say on why Africa will be free. This is Africa on the Move. Je suis le dernier de ma famille. Évidemment, nous sommes débrouillés. C'est dans un appartement vide J'ai pas de quoi me faire des débrouillés Je me tiens la tête devant mon poster Suis-je un imposteur Dois changer de posture J'hésite Dois changer de couleur Ou me laisser couler Ou prendre un couleur J'hésite Mon bébé va Dès qu'elle descend Dois lui donner la mort N'a pas en descendre Tout ce que je fais N'a aucun sens Qu'est-ce que je suis censé faire Car c'est sans visu mmh, mmh, mmh. C'est sans visu je suis complètement sonné, j'espère ça pour être honnête Oui j'ai sonné mmh. J'ai mis la charrue avant les bœufs Bien sûr j'ai cassé, j'étais de rattraper le temps J'ai foncé dans le mur me prenant Vas-y j'ai oublié qu'il était en béton Là je suis complexé, t'as vu 
la longue, ça devient embêtant Je me sens prêté pour pétiant Je me sens obligé d'oser le temps Mais dans la cocotte minou Car je dépense tout dans le loto Je me rongeais son à chaque minute J'ai pas quoi faire arrêter Je suis vrai Tu sais dans ma course Je t'en passe le bout Je suis vrai Tu sais dans ma goût Je l'avoue Tomber bien bas Les cahiers descendent Dois-tu donner la mort N'a pas pendé sans Tout ce que je fais N'a aucun sens Qu'est-ce que je suis censé faire Car c'est sans idée j'ai mis la charrue avant les bœufs, les pierres j'ai gâté, j'étais de rattraper le temps J'ai foncé dans le mur, me croyant ainsi, j'ai oublié qu'il était embêtant Je suis complexé, t'as vu, à la longue ça devient embêtant Je me sens prêté pour pression, je me sens obligé d'oser le temps
back to Africa on the move. We're discussing the theme, Africa will be free. We are advocating that our listening audience who hear this message uh, need to check out two of these videos that can be found on YouTube titled White Supremacist Said This and Instantly Regretted The Clapback of the Century. And the second one is titled Watch Africans Must Focus on Africa's Problems. P.L.O. Lumumba. And we should watch the two documentaries because they're very encouraging. They're very encouraging in terms of, again, there's another positive reinforcement of why Africa will be free. And we want you to also to check out the past programs of the, this past month dealing with African Liberation Day and Nakba Day organized by the All-African Peoples Revolutionary Party, GC, by going to their website. This is also encourage you and make you realize Africa will be free by going to their website, www.a-aprp.gc. So we return back to our political panelists and this for today's program. And we'll each one of them give us their thoughts on why they believe Africa will be free. We'll start off with Brother Moses and bring him in. Brother Moses, why do you think Africa will be free? I think um, the, I think the future belongs to the freedom-loving people who are conscious, who are, who are dedicated, who are organized, and who are determined who have ideological and political line that is correct and understanding the history of the struggle and what needs to be done. Scientific socialism is the future for Africa, pan-Africanism under a unified Africa under a united scientific socialist state. And this is the future, and the future is bright, because the future belongs to the brave. And I leave it at that. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. And go to Brother Haki. Brother Haki, why you think Africa will be free? Well, you know, you know, uh, based upon, you know, the commentary that's coming out of the out of the out of Africa in terms of, you know, various political leaders articulating, you know, discontent with with the current state of affairs, I think we can only be optimistic in terms of what's going on. Uh, superposed upon that is the notion that you have a lot of youth movements going on in Africa in terms of youth uh, advocating for real change in their societies, which is all very, very positive signs. So all that points uh, to the positive. And if, in the mere fact uh, that Western states are essentially powerless in terms of to undermine, you know, Africa in terms of the movement toward liberation, is is itself a very, very, uh, very, 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 very positive uh, uh, thing to behold. Uh, so, given that reality, I think that uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, with the call for you know African liberation, you know, ringing throughout the world, I think one thing is very clear. I think it, a lot of African leaders, you know, are getting the message, you know, that it's that it's time for Africa to move forward, and uh, the all of the uh, the injustices, uh, the, the the marginalization, the uh, uh, the victimization that's been inflicted upon Africa for, for centuries has to come to an end. So I think there's a fundamental realization that it's going to end. It has to end. 
and certainly people expressing, you know, uh, expressing that sentiment. Uh, so clearly, Brother Africa, I think that all things are possible for Africa, and uh, certainly, you know, we we on African movement all we can in terms of pushing forward that movement toward African liberation. And I'll close with that. Thank you, Brother Haki, and to our listening audience, like always, we are so honored to be in your presence to come to your home where we can give you information so you can use it as a tool for liberation. And from time to time, to introduce you to organizations. So not that only you can use information as a tool for liberation, but use organization as a mechanism to achieve all of the things that we need to achieve to be a free, unified people. Yes, of course, Africa will be free, unified, and socialist, and pan-Africanism is the key. Once you attain that, as Brother Kwame Kukuma taught us, every African around the world will be treated as a free person, respected as a free person, be in a position to make their proper contribution to all of humanity. So when we talk about Africa, we'll be free. We always have to remember the real question is, what will be your contribution to the development and the freedom of your mother, Mother Africa? On that note, we also like to just highlight too, as we talk about this past African Liberation Day and some of the groups who played a role, we also, again, will mention Pan-African groups as well. So check out their website at www.a-aprp.cc. They have some very powerful programs and posters and educational materials that can only advance our people to move forward. We also want to be remiss to give our condolences and our celebration and our thank you to our sister Simi Royal for the contribution that she has made to Africa, African people, and humanity. And like always, remember, Africa on the Move is a community byproduct of the Community Development Project, project of the African Awareness Association. You can hear this program every Sunday evening from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Please check us out. You can go to Blog Talk Radio, or you always can just pick up your cell phone, your landline phone, and just dial 1-323-679-0841. If you'd like to come and support a friend or Africa on the Move, Please email us at africaonthemove2 at gmail.com. You can always send a blessing or a contribution by using Cash App with the dollar sign, a capital L, a small e, a small e, a small c, a small r, a small o, a small b. Or you can just zell us to africaonthemove2 at gmail.com. Our contributions be used as a means to further our work and help us to liberate our people. We need your support and we thank you. So until next time, next week, same time, same place, like always, let's strive to go forward, Alvo, backwards and Alvo, and we will continue down this road of liberation. And we're going to do this right now constantly through our music. Africa will be free. Sigur
dia Além de trabalhar Como empacotadeira Na Casa Bahia Mama África A minha mãe É mãe solteira E tem de fazer mamadeira Todo dia Além de trabalhar Como empacotadeira Na Casa Bahia Mama África tem tanto que fazer Além de cuidar neném Além de fazer denguinho Filhinho tem que entender Mama África vai e vem Mas não se afasta de você Mama África A minha mãe É mãe solteira hum, E tem de fazer mamadeira hum, Todo dia Além de trabalhar como empacotadeira na Casa Bahia Quando mama sai de casa, seus filhos seu lodunzão rola o maior jazz Mama tem carro nos pés, mama precisa de paz Mama não quer brincar mais, filhinho dá um tempo É tanto contratempo no ritmo de vida de mama Mamadeira Todo dia Além de trabalhar Como empacotadeira Na Casa Bahia Mama África A minha mãe É mãe solteira E tem de fazer mamadeira Todo dia Além de trabalhar como empacotadeira na Casa Bahia Deve ser legal, Senegal no Senegal 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 Mama África, a minha mãe É mãe solteira e tem de fazer mamadeira Todo dia Além de trabalhar como empacotadeira nas casas Bahia Mama África, a minha mãe é mãe solteira E tem de fazer mamadeira todo dia Além de trabalhar como empacotadeira nas casas Bahia Mama África, a minha Thank you. 
Rosa Blanc for your mama, light up for your mama, select her you better pull up the one you see your mama, roll her your mama, sing low to your mama, yeah, I make sure you know you're happy, she bring you from your from your heart, help me sing this one, from your love your mama like this man, there's no one like my mama, no, no. I feel my mama this, yes, I feel my mama this You we get the first, I'm last, yes, all of this I feel my mama this, yes, I feel my mama this Anything you want, you want, get this, I'll be promised So anything you want, anything I tell Anything you need, my mama afraid to talk And this is the sun fall Go to blank to your mama, light up to your mama Select her, you better pull up the one you see your mama Proud of your mama, sing loud to your mama Yeah, I make sure you know you're happy She bring you from your From your heart, help me sing this one From your love, your mama like this man There's no one like my mama, no, no Rosa Blanc to your mama, light up to your mama Select her, you better pull up the one you see your mama Proud of your mama, sing loud to your mama I make sure you know you're happy She bring you from your heart From your heart, help me see this one From your love, my mama like this man Yeah, there's no one like my mama No, 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 no
Asian friend America, let me see in Africa Eh? Hilo piano Nava Latino Africa We love in everybody When you come to Africa Feel at home or body No matter where you're from No worry my friend It's so wonderful When you see for me Viva Africa Take your body, I say scream and shout, life is too short, no matter where you come from, Africa is your home, scream and shout, come dance with me, take
anybody. She won't sit down the table before anybody. She won't eat piece of meat before anybody. She won't eat piece of meat before anybody. Colombo dance, she go dance, lady dance. Colombo dance, she go dance, lady dance. African woman go dance, she go dance, fire dance. African woman go dance, she go dance, fire dance. I didn't know him on Namasta, she go cook for him. I didn't know him on Namasta. She go cook for him, but lady no be so, but lady no be so, oh, but lady no be so, but lady no be so, oh. lady no must die, 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 lady no must die. If you call a woman African woman, no go green. She go say. Say happy lady, she gon' say happy lady, she gon' say happy lady, she gon' say happy lady, oh, she gon' say happy lady, she gon' say happy lady, she gon' say happy lady, she gon' say she go say my get to man a woman. She go say my get to man a woman. She go say I be lady. She go say I be lady. If you call a woman African woman, no good. She go say, she go say I be
Cause if you come from Clarendon And if you come from Portland And if you come from Westmoreland You're an African So don't you where you come from As long as you're a black man You're an African No mind your nationality I've got the identity of an African Cause if you come from Trinidad And if you come from Nassau And if you come from Cuba You're an African So don't you where you come from As long as you're a black man You're an African modern time you can't help but say the word Palestine people there have lost their land some have lost their home they live in other countries their freedom almost gone Palestine Palestine. needs her freedom freedom. Palestine Needs our love, needs our love, Palestine. Needs her freedom, Palestine. Needs our love. There seems to be no answer. 
to give us the reason why people cannot live so no one has to die. We've got to take a stand for freedom, take a stand for truth, take a stand for justice. That's what we've got to do, because Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love. People of all countries, of every race, and creed. We need a new beginning. Let us plant the seed. Plant the seed of love and let that love seed grow. Plant the seed for everyone so all the world will know that Palestine Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom, needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love.